Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Simon Evans. Joining me tonight, two of the most stylish comedians on the circuit, Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. Fantastic. You are modelling those specs with a great deal of style and panache, both of you. We should point out that this is inspired by the fact that Nick actually walked into the studio <laughs> genuinely wearing those without any sense of irony or... I started, the what is it, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you first, win. First they laugh at you, then you cry, then you go home and never come in looking like that again. <laughs> you look like Warren Beatty in the uh, You're So Vain song, definitely, if that was about him. It's never been proven. Maybe it was you. It's a fabulous long. look, though. It is. It look. looks very sort of... You said he looked like he just came off a yacht. Listen, you always look like you're ready to go onto a yacht anyway. Oh, Nick yes. has just stepped up, frankly, and has just realised... <laughs> one foot on the game. yacht. Let us take a look at tomorrow's front pages, or if you're watching this tomorrow morning, today's front pages. We start with the Daily Mail. Lawyers set to ground first Rwanda flight. So the long-anticipated clash between the government and lefty lawyers is uh, looking sound. Forced out Sir Tory Tsar, city supermum, who said Boris was in wrong job. Uh, I think Lynn Trust demanded her head. Thursday's Guardian now, and a story that will be welcomed by... I'm sorry, it's the Telegraph first. I do apologise. Price of filling up average car hits £100. Uh, then we have the Independent, which is revealed. Ukraine forces outgunned up to 40 to 1. And there's a photograph there of a terribly sad accident which a teacher has been killed as a car hits a crowd in Berlin. I'm not clear whether or not that is being regarded as a, a terrorist outrage. Or something that sort. The Guardian has a fuel cost surge and dire economic forecast shatter PM's hopes of reset. I can't imagine the PM was oblivious to the likelihood of those things being in his uh, in his immediate future. And there's a, an obituary lined up for Paula Rigo, who is an artist who has passed away, celebrated for the passion and power of her work. Uh, the next one is the Mirror, and they have a petrol crisis story, £100 to fill family car. There is always that slight suspicion that they are overgeneralising, but never mind, that's the average family car, and it is now going to cost £100 to fill that up. There's also uh, a suggestion that dinosaurs are back as well, whether these two things are related, who knows. The Times has Johnson to let benefit claimants buy homes, plan could put three million on housing ladder. Can't help remembering that it was Bill Clinton's demands that, uh, that the poor be able to access mortgages that triggered the world financial crisis about 15 years ago. And to David Attenborough, 96 was made a Knight Grand Cross of the Order of St Michael and St George at Windsor. That's him collecting both his stars at the same time, which is obviously makes a lot of sense at that age. And finally, the Daily Star. Uh, I want my mummy. Anxious archaeology students warned they might see old bodies. More trigger warning stories from the star. We love all that at GB News. So those are our headlines. Let's have a dig into the papers. <music> 
So, Nick, this is the story which I wrongly queued up thinking it was the headlines, uh, yeah. but this is the story that will please absolutely nobody from The Guardian. Yeah, well, I thought it might be the Berlin story, actually, but it's, this is, it's price of UK petrol makes biggest daily jump in 17 years. So the average price is at 180.73p, uh, with the cost of filling a family car threatening to exceed £100 for the first time, up an astonishing 2.23p compared to the previous day. Not much fun. Now, the, people are br uh, blaming increased demand across the world and the squeeze on capacity at refineries. But there's a, there's a, a spat between the RAC and the AA. Mm. It's all kicking off. Because this it, is the bit I like, actually. Yeah. Yes, this it's, is the meat of it. It's unusual, isn't it? A bit it's, of internecine squabbling. Right. It's, it's going to become a West End meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When um, you're a rack, you're a rack all the way. Go on. <laughs> Good point. When you're a... Yeah, so it's... I almost started off there, but no. The sunglasses are enough. Uh, no, I'll phase in the singing gradually. So... AA is saying it's regular speculation that has done this, whereas the RAC is saying it's wholesale costs. So it's mm. all kicking off. Whereas you and I know, Simon, of course, it's the WEF and the elites. It's the World Economic Forum trying to and stop the Great Reset. Yeah. Yeah, now, I did assume that at some point this was going to come in very quickly with you two gentlemen. OK. <laughs> and I have joined the dots, which oh, I okay. think you'll appreciate. So, Go ahead. you know, we're going to have the rail strikes. Yeah. You can't fly anywhere because no. the planes are all landed. And now the petrol's so high that we can't drive anywhere. Mm -hmm. Are we entering a lockdown, but with no reason behind By stealth, it? yeah, climate it lockdown. Could be. Yeah, and, and there's meat prices. Meat prices we're going to talk about as well. They're, they don't want you to eat meat. Yeah. So it's all happening. I don't think you can conflate too many of these things, but certainly it seems to be a oh, I can. transport agenda. <laughs> you haven't seen my Twitter site. I do, I can. You can, you can, of course, but it will start to collapse. I do think it's interesting just how much shock and outrage there's being expressed. I mean, it is obviously expensive, but this is what a lot of people genuinely wanted to happen in order to enable us to switch to the green. Uh, sustainable energy. It was never going to be affordable. That was never on the, on the well, cards, was it? Let's some people want it. The Boris and the Net yeah. Zero freaks want it, but actually people don't want it when they actually see what it is. But, don't, but no. people don't notice. People are busy. They don't notice until it hits them at the pump. It is interesting. Almost none of them are really talking about uh, Russian oil or uh, anything. Yeah, that's, that. that's, that's mentioned. It's getting mentioned. I wonder Skinned whether... On. Is it that they are attempting to downplay that so that people don't lose faith and confidence and determination and commitment to the long-term sanctions? Well, because they start to think, oh, my God, it's hurting me in the pocket now. I'm not sure about that. Oh, I see what you mean. You, you, yeah, that's more of a sort of cynical... They, they, they're saying that this oil has fallen from peaks since the start of the war. And you get, the the, the yeah. claim is it's these other factors, but I know what you mean. That if it was that factor, would they yeah. publicise it? Well, listen, I'm laughing. I recently exchanged cars. My old car was doing about 35 to the gallon, and I've got a one that does about 50 now. So it's going to have to go up quite a lot in order to uh, capture my interest again. Frankly, I'm still loving it. I am absolutely distraught by this. For the first time, my tiny little car actually yeah. took £100 worth. I, wow. I went to 99 wow. and you can't go beyond that. Without burping. Without burping. Amazing. <laughs> I sold my car because getting a parking spot in my building was so expensive. So I'm actually the model citizen the WEF want yeah. against my will. You are. You are living in the pod. You are eating the bug. <laughs> Thursday's Telegraph Now, the polling company YouGov has been accused of engaging in some shenanigans, Diane, although historical shenanigans, I think. Well, um, yeah, so YouGov are accused of pulling a poll which favoured Jeremy Corbyn following pressure from Nadheem Sahawi, who is the education se uh, secretary. And hired thug, by the sound of it. And hired thug! <laughs> now, uh, the Telegraph is kind of posing this mystery question to us because it gives yeah. us all the evidence. And uh, it's coming from Chris Curtis, who is a former YouGov employee, who is now head of political polling at Opinium. Yeah. They've got very flash names. Yes. Like Opinium and Populous. And I would invent one. I'd call mine... 
Stinky Winky. Nice. Like it. Pole Star, would they have that? Pole Star, Pole yeah. Pole Dancer. Yeah, that would be good for you. No! no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Everyday really not sexism. that coordinated. But thank, you there. thank you for uh, thinking I am. Yeah. I don't have the room in my lounge. Um, <laughs> So Very good for your upper body strength, that's what I've heard. Yeah. Well, you should try it. You could do a I bit will. of boyless. <laughs> um, so, essentially, they're saying uh, you've got Chris Curtis on one side. Opinion chief now. He's, he's got a rival company, and yes. so he's, he's bad-mouthing his former employers. Is that the he case? Is, yeah, yes. so you could read it that way. OK, but never mind. Let's put that to one side. So, so he suggests that Jeremy Corbyn... I think the issue at stake was that Corbyn won one of the TV debates. Is that right? Yes. But the next day, you gov polled people and found that that was the case and they just shelved it rather than think that that would give him some momentum. Yes, as if, you know, if they had possibly released it, then, oh, we would have Jeremy Corbyn yeah. and he would have been the Prime Minister and they would have got rid of Theresa May and we wouldn't have Boris. I think this is why this is coming up. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of evidence from sort of both sides. There's there's an interesting character, Sir Linton Crosby, who yep. is um, an Australian sort of political manipulator and he's sort of saying, oh, I just, I put populists out of business last mm. time. I'm going to put you out of business this time. He's, so, the, he's the dead cat chap, isn't he, Linton Crosby? Dead cat. Chuck a dead cat on the table. When things get hot, you chuck a dead cat on the table and not literally a dead cat, the, but it's his... The Trump that's technique the name of his for strategy. diversion. Yeah, yeah, diversion. Right. I remember this debate. I think it was the same one. It's the one in which Jeremy Corbyn was wearing a strange pair of spectacles. I think one of the lenses was missing or something and, and, and there was a suspicion that... I can't remember what it was, but there was something not quite right about his glasses and about what they were correcting for. It wasn't but just he... normal short-sightedness. Oh, really? I, remember, I, yeah. I forgot that. I know he got points just for showing up when yeah. <laughs> Theresa May was, was, was AWOL. But can I just say, for legal reasons, you go are denying this allegation. Yes. I, I think we should get in there so I don't get sued again. No, of course. But, but, um, it's only an allegation. <laughs> but you, but you go... I remember you, Gov, mainly from the COVID lockdown area when many convenient polls kept popping up on Twitter that were exactly what the government wanted to do. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying for a second there were fake polls, Simon, though you can ask questions in a certain way, can't you? Like, would you like more lockdowns or do you want oh, your yeah. brand to die? Yeah, yeah. You, you well, you know, Peter Hitchens has, I think, the, the best concise summary of the... It's a bit, opinion polls are there to form public opinion, not to right, tell you exactly. what public opinion right. is. Because once you see it, you go, oh, everyone thinks yeah. that. Exactly. And I would add, though... That it was very interesting to see this story in The Guardian. It said that um, Zahawi had called up his called up this guy, uh, Stephen Shakespeare, Hugo Shiga's executive, and just said, hey, you can't publish this thing. Whereas in The yeah. Telegraph, it's a joke between mates, ah. because, uh, which The Guardian omitted. So Zahawi said it was a joke between two good friends. He's one of my closest friends. At no point since leaving YouGov have I had any influence on him. Because Zahawi did co-found YouGov. So yeah. I do find it actually fairly likely that it probably was a joke. That's credible. I think so. We'll have to... The, the mystery continues, but it doesn't feel like it's a, a smoking gun at this point. Thursday's Mail now. This Islamic movie story is gathering pace, it seems, Nick. This is oh, yeah. um, the, the Lady of... No, not the Lady of Shalot. What's it called? Lady of Heaven. Lady of Heaven, yeah. Yeah. And it's the showcase uh, becomes latest chain to pull the so-called blasphemous historic film. So Cineworld pulled it famously. Now you'll have seen the footage. Probably the manager being harassed and he, he pulled the movie showcase have followed suit and it is complicated because there's the there's this it's already been covered on this show so i'm going to try not to repeat stuff but there's mm. the sunny versus shia element which is causing a lot of the, the issues but then of course there's also the free speech versus should we pull movies for blasphemy element yeah. which obviously i think it, we... it does there's, i mean there are elements of the story putting aside the the you know the free speech as a matter of principle it, there are elements of the story that suggest it has been created in order to be divisive to be provocative even in is it sunny 
it's created it in Iran, which is sunny. They've still refused to show it because no, even they believe it. Created it by the Shia. Shia, sorry, yeah, Shia, it's yeah. nonetheless banned in, in a yeah. Shia majority Iran. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, and the, yeah, so even some of the Shias don't like it. But yes, the Sunnis are saying it's mis basically this uh, Prophet Fatima is depicted in CGI, which is not, which I'm not sure people like. And then Aisha is shown to in a negative light. This is that's the sectarian issue. Yeah. Then there's the, yeah, obviously free expression. We can't. Yeah. I've got an even more controversial date, which I thought I'd throw out there. Which, uh, just for fun, if you were a Muslim on the more extreme side and you saw... So I'm not, I'm, obviously, it's appalling to harass cinema managers and teachers yes. and so on. That's completely my stance. It's completely appalling. Yep. But if you were yeah. and you'd seen the way Christianity was sort of, is sort of declined in this country... Yes. You might think that I have to do this to, to sort of stop it going. On the further. other hand, the point at which I mean, the, the last hurrah of Christianity was protesting against Stuart Lee's uh, Jerry Springer musical, wasn't it? Right. And various other things. That was already over by then. The point at which Malcolm Muggeridge was attacking Life of Brian on a, on a Sunday morning debate show. I mean, at that point, it was gone, wasn't it? Really. Well, what know? I find interesting is that some people who actually saw it yes. um, gave it mixed reviews. Yes. Some people said. <laughs> It was all right. Long and, and some boring. Some people said it was long and boring and low budget. Yeah. And what they've essentially done is there is a chance that if you just let it play, it might just happen and go away. It but now they've fizzle. brought so much attention to yeah. it, way more people are going to go see it. Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I My don't point know. was just obviously I'm against this behaviour, but but you start off with uh, getting rid of blasphemy laws like we did in the past. Mm -hmm. Then you end up with Justin Welby, do you know what I mean, further down the line. Yes. And, you, and it's all over. Absolutely. Christianity bending over backwards. Yeah. <sighs> that will be a movie in due course, no doubt. Thursday's Times what? has a story on a novel strategy to eliminate the scourge of smoking, Diane. It actually says the, the scourge of smoking Diane there, but I think it must, there should be a comma. There definitely yeah. a comma is missing. Yeah. Um, so the, um, according to the Times, the smoking age should go up every year to deter young people. And uh, apparently this is a review ordered by Savage Javid, mm. and um, it's a New Zealand model. Now, the way that it sounds to my mind is that every year it goes up by one year. Essentially, if you're, if you're too young to smoke, you will always be too young to smoke yes, for all your life. Yes, you'll always be like yeah. one year yes. behind. And your slightly older mates will be like, ha ha, you can't smoke. It's sort of like being always. like a, what is it, like a racehorse. It's sort of always kept in, yes. a little bit in front of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you'll have to sort of go into newsagents, I'm 46, I mean, no, I know you're 45. There's got to come a point, it. hasn't there, which it's just, it's too, it's implausible. I've seen a lot of people discussing going, okay, if you're 16, you're allowed to join the army give your life for your country, but, you sh but you're not allowed to buy tobacco, that's ridiculous. Well, that is one debate. But it's, I think it's more like when you get to 27 or something. I mean, nobody's, let yeah. alone 35. Who's going to ever show their age ID well, after a certain point? You just you just refuse to do that, wouldn't you? Which I guess is what they want. But Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. They want you to do that. And the irony is also that smoking severely ages your skin. Yes. So if you can never quite reach Brilliant. it, you'll always look young. If you can just get the fags, though, for when you're 16, yeah, then you'll you be able to look 18. Yourself, <laughs> 17, you can get ahead of the pack. The danger is, obviously, with these things, is that tobacco is available freely on the continent. It's quite easy to smuggle over. There's been a fairly sort of profitable business doing that. If they make tobacco too hard to get, it's like when they put the tax up on vodka too much in, in Russia. You know, sales drop until it gets to a certain point. 
and then people just start making vodka in the bath, you know, and uh, and, and <laughs> the, they become insane and blind. You, you you want to avoid that if you possibly the back can. Backstreet tobacco scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you remember you've seen them in plastic holdalls in pubs and so on. Being walked. If you go in Weatherspoons a few years ago, there was always a fellow walking around, flogging two hundred, you know, cartons. I don't I, I don't I, go I, in pubs, so it's no. wrong wrong demographic. Ask me, <laughs> ask me about CrossFit. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a fascist on this one issue. I totally. Yeah. Admit, I'm known for my sort of libertarian stances, but this one. I hate smoking so much, mm. I actually just would ban it, yeah. and my base would hate me. I have a base, but they would hate me. But I just, I just <laughs> Replace the base. Because even, even in my building, my neighbour, she's very nice, but the smoke comes up, it gets in your house, no matter what yeah, you yeah. do. It is filthy. It, it's horrendous. And uh, the only problem is, I don't want to be on the same page as Jacinda Arden in any way, so I'm conflicted. Well, you are, but I think it's probably just, a, it's, you know, it's a human floor. Nick, we've been waiting for one to open up. You're <laughs> impeccable <laughs> carapace. I, I think it's quite interesting. I'm just going to drop this in. Roy Castle, you remember, who died, yeah. I think it was about 20, 25 years ago. And it was his death which he attributed to secondhand smoke. In the jazz club. Which, exactly, which um, proved the tipping point and, and the legislation came in shortly afterwards. And I had a friend who was in the pro-tobacco lobbying group Forrest at that time and he said, when Roy Castle died, that was the end of it for us. We knew we'd lost, which I find quite heartwarming because although it was obviously awful that Roy's life was cut short, he was the presenter of Record Breakers, one of my favourite shows growing up, all about the Guinness Book of Records. And his death is unquestionably, surely, a world record-breaking <laughs> sacrifice, probably the single most important civilian death in the history of health legislation. Wow, yes. That one man dying yeah. has saved thousands, perhaps tens, hundreds of thousands of lives. Way of looking at it, yeah. yeah. I, I thought about him as well, researching his story, I forgot to say, because I remember that famous picture with the cigarette stubbed out on his head, but I thought of it because as comedians, it'd have been horrible to do clubs when if people yeah. could smoke in them, so I am grateful for I that. I did it for a few years, it was awful. If you went in with a sore throat, you came out feeling like death. The times again, and seemingly the last remaining relics of the pandemic are lifting. Uh, this is a few places that still require masks, Nick. Finally, some good news. Masks are no longer compulsory in GP surgeries and hospitals. Out of the three times I ever wore a mask, two of them were in a GP, because it feels a bit churlish when you're about in to... A, in, a, in a surgery? Uh, in rather the, in than the health in a center. GP. Yes, good point. <laughs> but when, it feels a bit churlish when you're about to ask someone to look at your, your privates to say, I'm not going to wear the mask, bro. So that's the two times... That, yeah. Two of the times that it's... Sorry, Dan, your face went weird there. But the point is... They're going to get rid of them, except some GPs are apparently going to keep them, so they'll just be kept forever, so nothing we can do about that. But mainly they've gone, and I have to say, it's amazing to me at this point, we still see people in the supermarket and even outside wearing masks. I sort of give Asian people a pass because of the whole SARS thing, and it's become a cultural yeah, thing. Yeah. Anyone else, I'm like, why are you wearing the mask, bro? Also... I just don't have the nose for it. I'm sorry, but I don't. I, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Well, know, my so nose is too nice to cover yeah. up, but people have said, but I lost friends over the mask debate, and they're not coming back, even though the masks are gone, but those scars remain, sadly. Yeah. Well, but, there's a couple of issues, though, because I was listening to a podcast which was all about how do pandemics end, and yeah. pandemics end in two ways, social way and a sciencey way. Right. The social way is when we all go, we've had enough, we've decided the pandemic has ended, we'll yeah. just acceptably get on with it. Yeah. The sciencey way is where they actually say, OK, this is now no longer a risk to us, it now can no longer mm. um, it's properly come back. Yeah. But um, they're saying, the scientists are saying that they're actually um, surprised that people have stopped wearing the masks mm. because they're saying that we're still at risk of having some mass variant. I think out. the problem is is the context as well. And I, I still remain agnostic as to when and where masks work. But for instance, I went to the dentist recently. When you walk in, it's like a, a Victorian house, the dentist. You you walk in through the front door, they have they give you a mask, you sign a, a thing, you know, to say you've arrived. 
it's about five steps into the surgery and you have to take the mask off again because they're actually investigating your teeth. I mean, obviously, oh, right. you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like one of those double yellow lines that's about four yards long, you know, that you wouldn't be able to park yeah. a car on if you wanted to. I think yeah, you're going but... to the wrong dentist. I went to the dentist, nothing, nothing came up. Basically, the more, the more, I've noticed in private healthcare in general, not much talk I'm of not, masks. I'm very much NHS. You're very much NHS. Don't worry about see, that. No, you see, you look in my mouth, I've got tarmac in most of the whole thing. <laughs> I don't, there's like, I only have one, one dentist I trust, but no, hardly anyone's wearing masks. I know what you mean, people are sick of it. That's, that's what's happened. And welcome back to Headliners with me, Simon Evans, Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. So Thursday's Daily Mail now, the transgender cyclist Emily Bridges has some choice words for Boris Johnson, Diane. Yes, so uh, Emily Bridges says that she has received threats of violence after the PM made comments about trans rights in sports. So let's um, just... Hold your horses there. Mm -hmm. Hold your horses. Uh, it's wonderful that she's living up to the female stereotype of whining. Thanks. <laughs> um, so Boris Johnson said that biological males shouldn't compete in women's sports, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then he also said, and I can't believe I'm sticking up for Boris Johnson, but I am, because mm -hmm. he also said that it doesn't mean he's not immensely sympathetic mm. to people who want to change gender and that they need a lot of love and support and you can't just brush it away with just a little bit of legislation. And that is a very nuanced and important approach to take. Yeah. And it is totally appropriate to say that and it's not totally appropriate to make threats to somebody... No. But Based I suppose what the question is, well, we can obviously, I think, both agree on that, and I personally think Johnson handled that issue much better than Starmer and all the rest of them in the Labour Party. Yes. Who have absolutely confused people and, and I think made the Labour Party look, you know, borderline unelectable until they get their heads around the truth of that. But what the is question is, the question is, is Emily Bridges right to essentially, blame, I mean, really quite blatantly blame Boris Johnson for uh, arousing the, the ire of these online sort of hate campaigns that she claims to have been subjected to. And I am remaining sceptical about that because, yeah. I'll be honest with you, I am online quite a lot and I see an overwhelming majority of the hatred and vitriol expressed by the trans rights activists towards the, the, the gender-critical community. It's all one-way mm -hmm. traffic, as far as I can see, and then they, it's very much the cry-bully stance. Yeah, I go on. Uh, go on. Oh, they're even attacking Owen Jones now. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I don't believe the claims. There was, there was the claims that Boris's letterbox comments caused all this violence, which I didn't particularly believe that either. But I definitely don't believe this because Boris made these comments a while ago. I remember that interview. Yeah. What this came from was that picture on Twitter on the yeah. podium of the two biological men winning and then yeah. the woman with the baby and on the kiss. third spot. Yeah, that's what this came from, it, it seems to me. And it's clever to attach it to Boris because he's a popular hate mm. figure at the moment, saying, oh, Boris has caused this. I don't believe that for a second. It's also worth noting that Emily Bridges appeared in a men's race in February, which is, which, which is one reason uh, they're getting so much stick. Mm. And, but, you know, look, Sharon Davis did a poll the other day. Should biological males be allowed to compete against biological females in sport? It's nearly 60,000 votes. 97% said no. So that's just popular sentiment. It's a, it's a very good example of what you were saying earlier about how polling uh, can be used to distort public opinion. There were a lot of polls that came out at a certain point in which the, public, the general public seemed to sort of support trans rights. And then when it emerged how the questions had been phrased, you would go, you know, well, yes, they're, they're supporting their right to exist. But you're saying, are the biological males, should they be allowed to compete in women's sports? Suddenly, public opinion was considerably more yeah. uh, in favour of... of right. Uh, keeping them segregated. I think we're going to move to a point at some point where what you might now call men's sports is just open 
anyone can compete if they, if they want to. And then there is a protected category for biological females. That's what I would imagine we'll, we'll end up with at some point. Yes, well, when you actually look at all the uh, rules when it comes to uh, the different athletes, you'll find that uh, a lot of the rules say, right, if you are a trans... If you are a male to female, mm. you need to have this level of testosterone, yeah. you need to have been doing this for this many things, this, 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 mm. this. But if you have a biological female mm. entering into the men's category, it yeah. literally just says, you need to say that you're male yeah. and you are staying as male because there has been research. And this is something Emily Bridges has said. Emily Bridges claims that, um, oh, all of the research that's been done previously has not been done on athletes. I don't have any competitive biological mm. advantage. Absolute rubbish. Mm. Absolute rubbish. In the British Journal of Sports Medicine, Dr. Timothy Roberts brought out something in December 2020. And that is just one thing I'm citing. Mm. There's so many different things out there mm. that prove that you do have an advantage if you've gone through male puberty. Yeah, and it's never going to be acceptable. Any, any amount of drugs taken to lower testosterone is not going to be acceptable. Apparently, Bridges was in a tournament in February 2020, won gold in the points race and bronze in the team relay, so... <laughs> well, this one will run and run, as they say. Thursday's times once more, and the Japanese Olympic chief is standing his ground regarding his, uh, scare quotes, sexist comments about women. I suspect you may have some sympathy with his position. Uh, how dare you? Yoshimo Mori doubles down on sexist Olympic comments. So he, this is the former PM of Japan, and he said that... Um, this has nothing to do with, uh, with female athletes not being good or anything, is no, it? No, it's to do with the female representation on sports governing bodies. Right. And he said there would be a bit of a problem because a board meeting with plenty of women will drag on. And this is the... Uh, what's funny is he's the Lib Dem party in Japan, slightly different culture. Right. Uh, so that's where the Liberals are at in Japan. He said, um, <laughs> he said, women are competitive. When one raises a hand and speaks, all the others think they should speak too. Everyone ends up saying something, which apparently got a laugh. Hmm. And then he said... Um, he said that we, if they were going to be admitted to these meetings, then they, their time should be rationed. Otherwise, they'll never stop. Lucky that I'm covering the story, not Diana. We'd be here all day. <laughs> um, and he says now he was hounded. He apologised at the time, but it was a bit of a fake apology because now he's saying what he actually thinks, which is, I got scolded for telling the truth. The world is going crazy because politicians don't tell the true story. Who can really deny that last comment? Why are you booing me? I'm right. Right. <laughs> well, they don't tell the truth. And also, who can deny, Simon, his lived experience that women just do talk a lot, if that's his lived experience? What do you think, Diane? Do you want to defend women on this one? I'm sorry, you two are talking for so long and just zoned out. What are we on now? Male tears. I would say, I don't think it's... It's not my experience at this, in my experience, but then I don't sit in committees, but I would definitely say this. If a woman had said, made some absurd generalisation about what the effect of all male committees was, you know, that there was a lot of willy-waving or confrontation and they never could agree with anything because they were all, their egos were clashing, nobody would say that was absurdly sexist. Right. People would go, well, she's got a point. Let's say you go, girl. Yes. No, 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 this is ridiculous. OK, go This on. is actually ridiculous because this person <laughs> is noticing <laughs> when women talk. Yeah. And he's timing when women talk. He doesn't want to listen to women, no, okay. so he's noticing it. Right. And when the men talk, he's not even... Yeah, he's going... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's like that. Japan is a more patriarchal culture, of course. Yeah. Well, it's got all sorts of uh, regressive aspects to it, to be honest. Okay. I could not think of a more perfect embodiment of this next particular article than you, Diane. This one is from The Times again. <laughs> 
Thank you. So look on the bright side. Optimistic Absolutely. women may live longer, which is wondrous. Um, so they did this research. It was the Journal of the American Geriatric Society. Mm -hmm. It included a whopping 159,000 women. Yeah. And um, they were enrolled when they were between 50 and 79 years old, and they followed them for 26 years. Right. And uh, they discovered that, um, on average, the optimistic women lived longer. But I don't know whether that's just because they're going, well, everybody else is dead. I'm having a great time. <laughs> were, were they asking them on a regular basis? Did you, can we establish that? Were they kind of like getting a, like, how optimistic are you feeling today? And how about now and now and now? Or was it just like at the beginning of the, of the uh, like they do a test at the beginning of the entire experiment and then come back every 10 years and see if you're still alive? I think for the answer to that in-depth question, you yeah. will need to actually read the okay. journal of the American Geriatric Society. But I used to read, I remember a few years ago, there was a big uh, movement in popular uh, psychology, sort of happiness, you know, the, the psychology of happiness. And it was, it was emphasised again and again that this finding is nothing new. I remember they did a study at a convent and even among the nuns, who you would think would be quite a sort of emotionally sort of uniform kind of body of, of women, there were some nuns that were just really pleased to be there. I'm just happy to be here. There were other nuns that thought things could be organised a bit better. And the and the second batch died early. And the, and the yeah. ones that were just happy to be there lived on and on and on, you know. Yeah, well, why is it women? Isn't it surely the case that everyone, isn't it yes. everyone who's optimistic is meant to live longer? Though I'm a bit sceptical because it says lifestyle factors such as smoking, drinking, diet and exercise accounted for about 24% of the link between optimism and lifespan. So mm. are they optimistic because they're not doing those things or, or vice versa? So, My mean? strong suspicion is that optimism, like a lot of things in human nature, is baked in to a large yeah. extent. You're, you're not able to, to increase it just by having some sort of silly journal or something. You hear, yeah, but you there hear are that, ways that you can improve your mood. Yes. There are actual physical ways you can improve your mood. Like if you look Steady up... Steady on now. We've got you, that one no, coming up later. No, not in that way. Okay. Um, like if you look up, you yeah. improve your mood. If you take yourself outside and you sort of... You, you look at... You Going get enough nature. daylight. Yeah, yeah. you can Walking in woods mood. is good. You get a bit of extra oxygen. Mm. One thing I noticed in that one, uh, there was one of the women who was studied and she had lived... I think it was in this story. It might be a later one. She'd lived to be 100, I think. Later. Is it later, that one? Yeah. OK, we'll come back to that later. I think so. Well, no, we'll, we'll I will... Yeah, I, I do agree it was with just, you. There was one thing that she said which, which struck me, which was that her only regret was that her husband had died when she was still quite young. Well, I think that's the secret of women living to an old age. In my family, just, it's just like my own personal observation, anecdotal, but all the women I know whose husbands who were widowed quite early, and this did happen quite a bit in the old days, when the days of smoking and warfare they would often live on into their 80s and 90s with a very cheerful demeanour, uh, whereas uh, those who were married after about 70 <laughs> drag each other down. And welcome back to Headliners. It's our final third with me, Simon Evans, Diane Spencer and Nick Dixon. So Thursday's Guardian, and not only are vegans bad at making tasty food, they're also bad at making tasteful adverts, Nick. Yeah, UK Watchdog bans vegan TV ad for showing violence towards animals, which we'll get on to in a minute. But Acer received 63 complaints over, over this advert, which is the, the same number of vegans in the country. We saw the other day in a poll, there's actually only 4% of people are vegans in the country, not 20 as people thought, but they're very good at getting publicity. So this, I watched this advert so you don't have to. It's kind of a middle-class family sitting around saying how virtuous they are about things while smash cuts of horrific suffering against animals come in in a kind of Gaspar Noé or Lars von Trier kind of yeah. horrific dark movie way and uh, typical vegan subtlety. And of course the irony is in sharing this 
problem about violence towards animals, they've got banned for depicting violence towards animals. <laughs> yeah. Almost, they did it too well, yeah. and actually it's bizarrely proved their point. But they are, it's interesting, isn't it? On a couple, I watched it as well, it's on YouTube if anyone wants to see it. A couple of things struck me. Firstly, the, the, the way the script is organised, the, the suggestion is that these three quite aspirational uh, young middle-class, well-off people are lamenting things like uh, bullfighting in other countries, the cruelty that other Bye. cultures and other peoples meet out to their animals, the fact that the English essentially are a nation of animal lovers and other countries are not as bright. No pun intended on meat out, presumably. Yes, very good. And also, I just thought it was lovely to see uh, the rarity now, uh, an advert in which all three main parts were played by um, were white Caucasian actors. <laughs> you know, so rare not to see a mixed race, Kevin. You know, <laughs> these well, absolutely horrific, oblivious, <laughs> brutal horrific people. Hypocrite. But they were at least all white. Yes. Um, no, seriously though, it's it is quite a powerful. I don't know. I don't know if I'd have it banned. I don't know if I would late well, at night or something. Well, maybe not some, when kids could see it. Some of the arguments, sorry for banning it, was just that you couldn't choose. The people saying it's only what you'd see at a butcher. The argument was, well, you choose to go there. You don't choose yeah. to watch these horrors. Oh, on it's your not screen. all what you'd see at a butcher either. I mean, it's you know, it's, no, it's worse. farming. Yeah, a yeah. Pretty, pretty bad butcher. Yeah, that's right. Or a very right. brave butcher. Right. <laughs> well, no, when you go on holiday, sometimes and yes. you go into like the souk or something, and you get the butchers there, they'll display like they'll put the head of the animal yes. above all the meat cuts so you yeah. can see exactly you go this go is Bertie yes. and this and he's is what quite he's quite proud of his today. cutlets yeah absolutely right. right Thursday's Telegraph next just when you thought tax wasn't oppressively exhaustive already they are now taxing cow burps Diane this is another thing from uh, New Zealand I think yeah right? so this is from New Zealand um, cow and sheep burps to be taxed by New Zealand in world first isn't that exciting <laughs> so um, New Zealand is home to 5 million people 10 million cattle and 26 million sheep. Right. And uh, they, um, up until now... I bet the sheep overestimate the number of humans there are. Oh, they do. <laughs> There's some sheep and they go, I heard that humans exist, <laughs> but I've never seen one. Um, they basically, uh, the government have decided that they're going to now tax methane emissions. Right. And they're going to... Tax but, the farmers, presumably, rather yeah, than the, the but sheep. But the thing yeah. is, is that, like... They're saying that it goes on the methane that the animals produce. Now, I don't know about you, but one sheep to the next is going to have a different ratio of burping and farting, right? Mm. So they're going to have to take your standard sheep mm. and sort of measure how much methane it produces. But sh some sheep are going to have dietary problems. Like, it's, it's all a bit wonky. Essentially, they are saying, and I would imagine cattle are much more productive of methane than sheep, but they are essentially saying, we're just going to tax your cattle. There's they no, are. There's no realistic way in which they're going to measure the amount of You're methane, not, are they? They're not going to have somebody turn just, up with a no, jar, like, waiting by a cow's backside. Well, does it depend on what you feed them, though? Maybe there is a certain kind of feedlot that will... That's what I'm saying. It. There might yeah. be some yeah, sheep yeah. that have, like, intestinal problems, like, oh, no gluten, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that sheep if you feed it wheat. So we were led to believe when I was a child, I was virtually made to feel ashamed of my own paltry little single-chambered stomach. The cows with their four chambers and their ability to regurgitate the cud, which they, they it felt like a, like the rotary wankel engine or something. You know, it was a much more advanced system. You were made yeah, to yeah, feel yeah. ashamed of your well, single stomach? Yeah, whereas no. wolves have the very fast stomach. They can yeah, eat yeah. Well, they, I like they're called agricultural emissions. I can't tell if that's a euphemism <laughs> or what they're actually called. It's right on the line. And I just want to say, of course it's New Zealand, of course it's Jacinda, at least the higher meat prices. How convenient again are yeah. we here? I love agricultural mm. emissions. So you're right, it's like somebody had a step toe and something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out of there, you dirty little man. <laughs> Your agricultural emissions. On to the metro, <laughs> the scourge of suspensions up and down the land. This is potholes, Nick. 
Yes, drivers are so angry about these potholes, they've been given a swear jar. <laughs> Nearly 700 people in the village of Renbury near Nantwich in Cheshire have signed a petition calling on the council to repair the heavily damaged station road. I sound like Alan Partridge on North Norfolk Radio. It sounds ruddy hard. You've got a picture but, of this. Oh, yeah, well, I actually te I texted it to our producer <laughs> and he wanted the source. The source <laughs> was yeah. Twitter. I thought it'd be better with the picture, because otherwise it's a fairly dry story. But there it is, the swear box in aid of Cheshire. I was East. saying, though, this is the all very close to the story that inspired John Lennon to write uh, Day in the Life. I read really? the news today, oh boy, 4,000 holes in Blackburn, Lancashire. <laughs> that was about potholes. Really? Then someone had to count them all, and now they know how many holes it takes to fill the Albert Hall. Albert Hall he had no. seen it in a news story, a bit like a rainforest the size of Wales, you know. It had been the total number of potholes in oh, Blackburn, wait, Lancashire would have filled the Albert Hall. What I love about this is this is very typical British village yeah. honesty box. Yeah. And I love an honesty box. I agree. You should buy your eggs from an honesty box and uh, you have a swear box. You must be honest and there'll be people who live in that village who'll go, right, that is it. Walk down that street <laughs> and you go put that money in that swear box. I remember I had a, um, I, I went into a, into a church once and I, we, we were hiking and camping and um, we were just like wandering through a village. They had a little sort of um, box of groceries it was like a food bank, but a tiny one, just in the port of the church. And they had a tube of toothpaste, which I desperately needed. And so I left money in there for the, for the toothpaste. I bought it. But my mate was outraged because it had been left as charity and it wasn't like supposed to be purchased. And it still gnaws at me whether I... Did I do something really evil that day? Is that like an honesty box? And I paid, yes. I paid absolutely the going rate for the toothpaste. It's no, you right. did perfect. You did it's exactly okay, what you it? should have done. And then That's a poor wonderful. person could come in and just take the money now, yeah, and buy some cigarettes with perfect. it. Perfect. Yeah, you can, I think you can sleep easy on it. OK, fun. it's always gnawed at me, that. <laughs> Thursday's Guardian next. A 100-year-old woman. This is one I trailed earlier uh, <laughs> with the uh, benefits of an early spinsterhood. A, a, a widowhood, rather. An old woman has had her driving licence renewed at the age of 100. Presumably this won't actually reduce the standard of Italian driving. Yes, I mean, I don't know if you've ever driven around uh, yes. in Italy. I mean, I, I was driven around in Rome once. It was terrifying. Um, so a uh, 100-year-old Italian woman has her driving licence re renewed. And although this is news now, is this not something that will cease to be news in possibly 10 years' time. You never are know. we not all living longer? Yeah. And are we not all going to sort of maintain our faculties? Um, I think this woman would have clearly been an optimist because yeah. she's clearly been living she's for so long, long. Um, which is wondrous. And she's but done well because she lost her husband at an early age, which she regards as a I... tragedy, but it's definitely helped her. I'm distraught at how much you're applying this. The irony is in, in <laughs> 70 years' time, she'll be able to renew her driving licence at 100. She won't be allowed to buy cigarettes. <laughs> Can I just say as well, though, it's not that weird. My granddad drove till 93 yeah. badly, yeah. it has to be said, but he was, he was always bad. Over. Do you know what speed you were doing? <laughs> he was always a bad driver, so it wasn't the age. He just tailgated. Yeah, my dad has had to give it up now. They've just lost it. My dad's 92, can no longer drive. It is quite sad when you reach the other side of that mm. capacity. But um, I do think it's interesting in Rome. I drove in Rome about three or four years ago. We had a rental car and we decided to go into Rome for the day. And I was braced for, you know, like a, a very traumatic experience. In reality, the roads were almost completely empty. And we drove for at least an hour before we realised why. It's illegal to drive in Rome, basically, now, unless you have a sort of permit on certain days or the certain, like, you know, number plate or whatever. And as this dawned on us, we realised why we were able to park outside the path, <laughs> you know, not the path, not the, the Coliseum. Because you criminals. So we just went for it. And then, of course, we got a fine, you know, when I got home, it was about an £80 fine. An £80 fine for basically being able to park literally outside the Pantheon, you know. You did it was like something it. out of Roman holiday. It you, was absolutely worth it. You did a sort of professional footballer flex. I'll just take yes. the fine yeah, and park absolutely. my Lamborghini. Absolutely, like the Lamborghini in yeah. Knightsbridge, yeah. <laughs>
Thursday's Express Now, the story that, if true, is great news for our grandchildren and the tiny apartments they'll all inevitably be inhabiting in the future, Nick. Yes, expert warns humans could start shrinking in size, not because they're 100, but after an eerie discovery in evolution, a paleontologist has warned that humans may begin to adapt to a changing climate by shrinking in size. Oh, what a surprise, it's another climate story. Ah, ah, of course ah. they're shrinking, we're going to eat bugs instead of steak. Yeah. They're going to be tiny. That is true. Uh, so what he's arguing is that... Um, since mammals with smaller frames are better able to deal with temperature, it's something to do with surface area compared to volume. And this is Professor Steve Brissett. Uh, it's Diana happening to Diane immediately. As we see. <laughs> it's climate change, guys, even in here with the aircon. It's probably the aircon that's doing it. But he... Um, he, he that was my excuse last time. He compared this... <laughs> nice. He, he compared this... <laughs> This, this never normally happens. <laughs> he, he compared this transformation to... He's saying it's like the prehistoric horses who, which shrank in size yeah. because temperatures rose 55 million years ago during the Paleocene-Eocene thermal maximum, which is my favourite warming period Which must have been... Was that all. horse-tropic uh, climate change, was it, in yeah, those days? Yeah, horse-centric. And, yeah. and basically, this guy is trying to sell a book. It's the rise, one might say, it's the rise and reign of the mammals, so that's yeah. probably a good book. But the, the, he's saying the reasons aren't really understood, but it's because smaller animals have a higher surface relative to their volume than plump animals. Oh, no, that is there, is... there is all sorts of reasons why different sizes of animals are good for different climates and stuff. I think that's true, but some of the very big ones live in Africa, don't they? Some of the megafauna, you know, your, yeah. your, your elephants and, and so on, live but, in very hot climates. So there must be a... There must be some, I don't know, mitigating factors. Well, mm. when you look at sort of oh, the, the Nordic people, like <laughs> the Danes and Norwegians and the Swedish, they can be mm. quite tall. You choose And they're in a sort of a, a, a colder climate. Yeah. But then you sort of get super cold, they're like sort of the master people. race, aren't they, those people? <laughs> I think. <laughs> your, your phrase, not mine. <laughs> but no, what? no, you're right. There is a certain, I mean, they also say the Neanderthal, which many of us now, it turns out, have a bit of Neanderthal in us of a Saturday night, but the, uh, no, the Neanderthal, if you do your DNA test, the, you, you sometimes get 2 or 3%. Did you not know this? I, no. And I it correlates. Do you know Tony Law, our, our uh, colleague on the comedy circuit? Tony Law did a DNA test. He's about 3% Neanderthal, and it correlates with how... He really is, and it's not a bad thing. <laughs> Neanderthals are very smart. It's a bad publicity. I wouldn't think it would, Tony. They have been subject to terrible propaganda over the years, to, to the, 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 you know, the idea that they're <gasps> grunting cavemen. There's, it's very unsure, uncertain why they... They were sort of bred out of existence. It was more like the Great Replacement than anything else, you know. There was this kind of... Um, sense that they were essentially absorbed within the larger Homo sapiens thing, and, and we all have a bit of that in us. But the thing that will come in, if you recognise it, is the low brow ridge. You have, a, like, a, a heavy... No, like a, like a cliff-like forehead, and then your eyes are deep-set and way back beneath it. And I don't think I do have it. I just have small eyes. And that <laughs> is because in the northern climates, the, the sun spends a lot of its time quite low to the horizon, so you just spend a lot of your time frowning. Wow. Apparently. And that's a Neanderthal trait. Wow. Yeah, after 10,000 years. Now, we have to remain within Ofcom guidelines for this next one, Diane. I admit I would be reticent to work in an office with a policy like this one. So, um, uh, this is a story from the Mirror, and mm -hmm. a boss gives staff daily masturbation break and sex toys as a special work perk. A work um, perk. Now, we have to just quickly underline yes. um, what Erica Lust, the boss, does. Right. She is a maker of pornographic films. Heck of a coincidence that that's her name. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I mean, it's fabulous, isn't Nominative it? determinism. Uh, but, I mean, obviously, this works, although, to me, it would seem like a busman's holiday, right. really, if you're getting... You a... get that in buses as well, do you? Well, well, <laughs> I thought that was just me. <laughs> it depends on how much you pay for the bus, I suppose. Um, 
this wouldn't really work if you worked at the British Museum, no. for example. Although it's, well, I mean, maybe they should bring ten thousand year 10. old walrus tusk or something. But, possibly that, yeah. wasn't, that wasn't clear to me though in the article. It doesn't say if this is happening on a porn set, which would make sense, or just in some job. Does she have a side hustle? No, that's what she does. She's okay. a porn director. Okay, so there. okay, I see. But it, yeah, but it, it wasn't clear. Okay, so fair enough. I thought it, it, it might mean that this is a okay. Well, that's a bit more normal, then, isn't it? Well, yeah, she's yeah. saying that she values her employees and she wants she wants to give them time. But my question was, yes, but if you don't want to do it, like yeah. you're not in the mood, you still get the break. Are you kind of touching? that and huffed that until you... Yeah. Oh, I can't believe you're not oh, I doing you're this. Oh, I suppose you're too good for it, are you? you yeah, know, yeah, but she's trying to, like, make out this thing of, oh, it's OK, everybody's cool. You don't just have to do it in a cubicle or something, do you? Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, where would you room? do it? You'd want to have a nice room. I, um, I agreed to donate sperm once. I, I thought I'd be a sperm donor about 35 years ago now, and, um, and it didn't work out for various reasons. But I did try it once, and I went into this, and it was just like a little... You know, you just had a little bolt on the door. I thought that's not enough. No, you want you know what to I mean? It wasn't even like, yeah, you wanted nice it to lamp. be like, go through a, through a, do you want to mean like, there should have been a, a, a foyer or a lobby and then into the, the actual chamber. Bit of dinner. You know, yeah. Did they make you wear a mask? Oh, no, it was in... It was no, no, this was about 1994 like or something gentleman. like that. I wrote an article about it for the... Industry. And Neanderthals allowed to give sperm, not you. It <laughs> <laughs> had to be tested. Good question. Following on from our highbrow news selection, who else but the Daily Star... Uh, you seem quite enthusiastic about this one, Nick. Well, that's what they're claiming in the auto queue, yeah. <laughs> Our producer's stitching me up again. It's, uh, I mean, by the way, I, I had a very nice girlfriend recently. Someone said the other day on Twitter, there's no way you have a girlfriend. It's just that there's no one in my league, guys. That's what it is. Anyway, Brits can't yes. take world's first sex robot seriously as saucy doll given Glasgow accent. I already tweeted about this. It's a doll with a Glasgow accent. I mean, I don't know if there's settings that you can change it. It's not clear. Can, have uh, we got a bit of footage of it? Let's see if we've got a picture of her. You can connect the AI that you've created in the app to the robot and carry on the conversation with her that way. Once you've got that loaded and you hit chat, well, she just comes to life. Could you came back so fast, baby. I'm glad you came back that fast. Why, well, baby, 10 minutes without you seems like an eternity. I misread oh. that. Quite, that is quite a like, strong dialect, isn't yeah, it? I no, it very strong. Up, but, yeah, no, very strong. I thought she was saying at first, on, when I saw it in the article, 10 minutes with you seems like an eternity. I'm like, wow, yeah. it's a robot and it's still chipping away at your self-esteem. But it was without you. You can program it to say whatever you want, which is a, a great, great well, thing. And he's got it to say, I'm glad you came back so fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, she sent him out for, a, like, milk and fags or something, mm. and he's come back. It's like... She sounds like she's covering her tracks a little bit, like he's yeah. caught her off guard. <laughs> and she's like... I, I like what she's up to. A lot of people were basically saying that she sounds like she's doing the train announcement, like, yeah. uh, the next train at Platform 1 will be the 12.15. <laughs> Please mind the gap. Listen, there might be plenty of people who find that an enormous turn-on, and uh, each to their own. I think that's the whole point of having a sex robot, is that you don't have to be shamed about your... Yeah. <laughs> if that's your worst peccadillo, that you like a bird from... From the Glasgow region, I think you're probably fine. Now, let's think of this next one as a palate cleanser. Otters solving puzzles, Diane. This is from The Guardian. Oh, this is adorable. So, scientists use food puzzles to show otters um, how to learn from each other. So, when you've got an otter and you need to uh, release it into the wild, the problem is, is that sometimes the otter, if you've been feeding it, like, yes. apparently they feed otters meatballs Aww. and things like that. You know, serve them up yeah. a little plate, they do a little bit of uh, Lady and the Tramp and they suck all the pasta. Yes. But the problem is when you then release it into the wild, uh, the otter will see like a crab or something for the first time yeah. and it will 
not know if it can eat it, no, it won't know how to eat it. And what's exciting is that they have trained the otters to, um, if one otter can pick it up, mm -hmm. then that otter will show another otter how to do it. Oh, they're like the midwitch otters. The midwitch otters? Um, you know, the John Wyndham, the midwitch cuckoos. You know, if you if one child cracks the puzzle, then instantly the whole village... Do you not remember that? Because they were all really? alien spawn. Oh! And, and that was how they realised oh, that they no, were aliens. Oh, no, these are not telepathic otters. No, it's not, OK. No, but no. it was close. OK. It's all more mimicry. They're not like... Right, OK, they're not immediately like, bing... Yeah, they're not all yeah. connected on a cerebral level. Who is it? Rupert Sheldrake has theories that there are animals that can do that. Apparently there was an island where there were some monkeys and they, and they worked out how to crack open a coconut and suddenly all the monkeys on all the other oh, islands could do it as well. Sort of like the four-minute mile. Yes. Um, I, I, I love, my favourite part is it says otters are able to learn from each other but still prefer to solve some puzzles on their own. They're like men who won't ask for directions, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm going to do this myself. Well, that basically means <laughs> that you, like, you looked at it and you were like, I could have an otter as my spirit animal. Exactly. Otters are really cute. You've seen them lying on their backs Thank holding you. hands so they don't float apart, right? Mm -hmm. Two otters fall asleep on their backs. It's gorgeous. In an age of consent... Anxiety, at least we can chalk up this one to our list of worries, Nick. This is our last story of the night. Oh, that's what is... What the, the Age of constant anxiety. <laughs> what, science dismiss fears Earth's magnetic yes, poles will flip. that's right. So the, and they're Very not quick. flipping. You've got ten seconds. Oh, well, basically, they're not flipping. We thought they were going to flip, and they, <laughs> they totes aren't. There you go. Well, that's one we can cross off the list. Nick, Diane, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank pleasure. you so much for turning out so well presented. I've been Simon Evans. I'll be back here tomorrow night with two more well-presented guests, I hope, and some more newspapers. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.